If you would like to join in reading the text for today's teaching, we're in two places. The first one is Romans 6, 2 through 5, and then we'll go to John 17, 1 through 3. So first, Romans 6, verse 2. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Then John 17, 1 through 3. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one of you. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ the one who, sent, who was sent to earth. you take the mystery of your scriptures and would you reveal them to us? Would your spirit meet us where we are? And would you call us into the everlasting song of life that you have available to us even today and into eternity? In Christ's name, amen. Well, friends, if we haven't met, my name is Tim, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And it was a couple weeks ago, somebody here, a friend of mine, was like, hey, you preaching today? And I said, yeah. And he's like, I know, because you're wearing shoes. So hot. It's hot out there. Sandals have to do today. So before we get to the good news, can we do some good news for the good news? Does that sound right? Okay. Great. Well, if you've been around here for a minute or two, you may remember uh, our friend Christine Much, who was our community mobilization pastor. Uh, dear, dear friend, yes. And uh, Christine uh, left our staff in January and remains part of our circle of friends and community doing some great work in the world. But that position is really important to our church. And so it took um, a while to fill it. We started a national search immediately after she left. We began to pray about what this position uh, should be and could be, how it needs to morph. Um, and we began to see as we also kind of vetted and had conversation with some really great candidates and also began to pray and see what, what is God doing here in our midst and around 
around the world, and how do we equip this position to be a part of that? And we realized that we needed a, a pastor who will educate, invite, and mobilize our community into joining God's work in the world, making measurable change amongst the oppressed, and someone who would concurrently shape an environment of spiritual depth and renewal in our community with a, with a dynamic sense of encountering the living Christ as we serve alongside one another. And so what morphed out of that was this new position title, the Mobilization and Renewal Pastor. So I'm really thrilled about that. But it also made our search more complicated. Like, it's a big job. And so it took even longer to find. But in the meantime, the great work that God has been doing through Marceau Bible Church and through your joy box giving has continued, right? In the, in, in, amongst many other things, we've had a chance to pair children who are refugees at our southern border with foster families. We've mobilized clean water efforts in uh, Rwanda, helped our friends at New City Neighbors in GR with a new greenhouse, aided the work of the Sea Collective to help fight sexual exploitation and human trafficking here and around the world, and we responded recently to the crisis in Afghanistan with uh, some of our partners over there aiding vulnerable children and families. And so the work has continued. So thank you. You've done amazing work. And glory be to God for that. And glory be to God that in the last couple months, God has brought an amazing new person, pastor, and prophetic voice and leader to be among us as our new mobilization and renewal pastor. So I get the pleasure of uh, just letting you know that uh, the Reverend Dr. Denise Kingdom Greer will come to minister among us in a couple weeks. So very, very exciting. We uh, will have a chance to, to meet Denise um, in a couple weeks and to welcome her among us. But first, let her just say the first words herself. Here's a little video from her. Well, hi, Mars Hill. Yes, I'm Denise Kingdom Greer. I am so excited to be joining the team here at Mars. I am so geeked to have the opportunity to be able to worship with you and to see what God is going to do with us together. And so thank you for welcoming me so warmly, so kindly. I look forward to getting to know you. God bless. Uh, so we'll have a chance to uh, welcome Denise in person in a couple weeks on September 12th and as we commission her. And if you feel like reaching out uh, to type a welcome email, feel free to send that to uh, info at marshill.org or grab a card at the info booth or the welcome center right outside and just feel free to jot a little note of welcome. This is a really exciting time for our church. I'm really thrilled. I've known Denise for, for a long time and I'm really, really geeked that we get to, to minister alongside another. We're in for a real treat. So, with that, uh, the good news in advance, or the gospel in advance, as Paul would say, um, we're in the creed, if you haven't noticed. We're walking through the Apostles' Creed, and we are almost done. We're getting close. Next week, Troy has this really complex theological phrase, amen, <laughs> to end us. So, I have actually a real complex theological group of phrases to deal with today, where we talk about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So, as we unpack these phrases, I would just invite you to stand, as has become our custom, and we will say the creed together um, up until the amen. We'll just hold that a little bit. So, here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He seated at the right hand of the power, and will come again to judge the living. Believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. It's tough not to say amen. It's tough not to sit down. Hang on. Hang on. A little activity. If you would, stand with me for a second. So, it was my first seminary class. The professor, this really wonderful theologian, she says to us, we're going to unpack three words today. Word, word, and word. Can anybody tell me the theological significance of word, word, and word? And all I could think of was like spoken word, Bible as word, and like word to your mother. That's all I had. (laughs) I started at the low rungs of the theological seminary. So today, we are going to unpack four words Body, 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 body. So we're going to throw some, some actions with this. So get your arms ready. Today, we're going to interact a little bit with our bodies. So hands on hips, our bodies, like Peter Pan. <laughs> All right? There it is, Paul. I like it. Bodies. Because this interplays with Christ's body, the church. All of us, arms out. Christ's body. And it's here that we encounter Christ's body, go to the table, as a representation of Christ's body, the living and ascended Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Ready? So body, 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 body. Lovely. You can have a seat. Thank you. Get your calisthenics in this morning. Couldn't have done that a couple weeks ago. All right. So, tuck that away for just a few minutes because we're going to start with the resurrection of the body. Our human body is what the creed is claiming here in this phrase. We get these little tweets at the end, right? Resurrection of the body, life everlasting. It's talking about our bodies. Reiterating the, what we found in our text from Romans, if you want to pull that, put it on the screen. This is where Paul is saying, we who were joined with Christ... Through the work of Christ, through the grace of Christ, in the waters of baptism, will also rise with Christ. At the end of that, he says, for we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Amen. I don't want to, to gloss over this quickly. This is incredibly profound and is, is the key tenet of Christ's resurrection that our faith hinges upon. We rehearse it on Easter, and we claim it boldly, and we live into the promise never far from us when we have loved ones who have recently passed, or Christians around the world, I think of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan and other places who are leaning into this promise every day, that death does not have the final word. And that is what the creed begins with here, that we believe in the resurrection of the body. It tells us, too, that our bodies are not just disposable. Affirming the Christian doctrine that the body is 
made in the image of God. And these are not just soul containers for us. And that on the day when Christ returns to bring about the full restoration in the new heavens and the new earth, our bodies will be resurrected, brought back to life in the flesh and be with Jesus and one another forever. This promise is echoed in 2 Corinthians 4 where, where Paul says, God who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us. This is some of the floor that we stand on as believers. That the resurrection of Jesus is also our hope and present reality. The bold, audacious claim that we will not die but in Christ, we will have eternal life, as John says. So we rehearse that story together throughout the year. Think of Easter, right in there. We rehearse that story weekly. We rehearse that story daily when we wake up to new life, saying, Lord, your mercies are new every morning. May I live into the resurrection. And some of this, this has been touched on in the creed. We've poked around this too, because we've talked about the life and work of Jesus, who was crucified, dead, buried, descended into the dead, on the third day rose again to the right hand of the Father, who will come to judge the living and the dead. And the early believers here are claiming that the work of Jesus and God's power in Christ's resurrection is also for us, to give us peace and encouragement every day. And they also named this explicitly in the creed, to push back against a common heresy of their day, which means we're coming back to the heresy highlight, everybody. Here we go. Gnosticism. It was, a, it was early Christian heresy that separated the body and soul. So there's a little scene from our friends at Disney's Soul, if you will. If you've seen, anybody seen that? Gordon's, I know, yeah, okay. It's a cute movie. You can watch it. I'm not saying you can't watch it, right? It just doesn't quite line up with where Christ is taking us, thank God. But it's great. Gnosticism pitted the mind over matter, mind over the body. Gnosticism, Gnosticism, the word gnosis, which is Greek for knowledge, said there's this secret knowledge out there. And it's for the mind and the intellect and kind of the material world doesn't really matter that much. At best, it, it, it's irrelevant. And at worst, it's a gloomy place, this world. And so we need to find the secret knowledge that will unlock our minds to transformation. That was Gnosticism. And uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way, there's a massive assumption that's been made in Western Christianity that the purpose of the Christian life or at least mainly, is to go to heaven when you die. That's a pretty Gnostic notion. It's incomplete. Of course, it is true, but it's not the full picture because our bodies matter. They're part of the whole. There's not this separation of heads on a stick and our bodies are just soul containers. So the creed pushes against that. It says no to Gnosticism. If you ever hear like Gnosticism, like, hey man, you want to buy some Gnosticism? Just say no. No to Gnosticism. Uh, creation is good. Our bodies are good. The incarnation, which is this fancy word we use in the church to say that Jesus, the eternal God, took on a, a body, took on flesh, giving value and worth, affirming the image of God in our bodies so that we're not just mind over matter, but instead we are mind and body and soul integrated into a whole as part of the creation that 
lifts up the glory of God as we see in Psalm 19. So when we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body, that is what we are claiming with all of the saints throughout history who we will one day see in the body. The life everlasting. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. This second part, they're, they're tied together. And this, uh, some scholars say this line, the life everlasting, was added on to answer what they call the Lazarus question. Okay, Lazarus raised from the dead by Jesus, back to life, and they're asking, wait a minute, did, was, was, is our resurrection going to be like the one of Lazarus, where he rose, and then does, does he die again? Yes, Lazarus dies again, so no, our resurrection is not like his. The resurrection that, that the creed is pointing to is when Christ returns and the dead are raised, it will be for all time. We will not die again and then be resurrected again. This, 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 uh, this circle of life is not what we're talking about here, right? We will be raised once and for all to be with Christ for eternity. Amen. But the life everlasting is not just a statement about time either. Time matters. Life in Christ is indeed everlasting. We will not die again, as the hymn says. One with himself, I will not die. But it's not just about quantity. Scholar Ben Meyer says you can't make life better by just increasing its quantity. Quality matters as well. Pointing to more than just longevity when we say the life everlasting. We're saying eternity, yes, and more. Let's look at our text from John. Uh, this is Jesus in his great priestly prayer in John 17. We looked at this specifically in the spring in our John series. Uh, if you want to go back and take a closer look at that. But, but it says this. Jesus is talking to the Father. Father, the hour has come to glorify your Son. That your Son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. For all Jesus' parables, he speaks super clearly here. I love it. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life, Jesus is saying here, is not just a quantitative, linear extension of life, but a qualitative type of life that we enter into through the power of the Holy Spirit that has to do with the union and communion with the living God. That the God of the universe is calling each of us into deeper union with God's self. And that's the life that is also pointed to here. There's this phrase, we see it in John, we see it elsewhere as well in different ways, but it's this eternal life. Life there is zoe, is the word for that. The word here for uh, eternal is ionios, which simply means, that's what we translate as eternal, ongoing. But the tense here in the Greek is really brilliant because it's both present, it's ongoing, and it's future. And life, zoe, can we say that together one more time? Zoe, life is this word in Greek. Now, it's a particular type of life that 
Jesus is inviting humanity into here. There are two other words for life that you can see here. Bios, right, has to do with biology, the old double helix, um, life as in the biological, physical life of nature. And suke, the soul life. It's our friends again from Disney Pixar. The soul life, the psychological life, this, this idea that the, that the soul will go on and the body will stay behind. Those words were available to Jesus. They were, they were front and center in the modern Greek philosophy that he would have been trafficking in. Same with the Apostle Paul. But he doesn't use those words. Meaning that what Jesus is talking about here is not simply an extension of longevity of life, but a quality, a type of life that is rooted in the person of Jesus. Here's, here's a brief definition of this Zoe, right? The extraordinary life to the full. Reminds you of John 10.10. 10. Come to give you life and life to the full. Come to give you Zoe and Zoe to the full. Extraordinary life centered in a relationship with God. The divine life. I think it's First Peter. We get to be partakers of the divine life. God is inviting us. Amongst these audacious claims we claim here, we are invited to be participants in the life of the Trinity through the work of Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I are invited into the life of God. It's participatory. It's something that we enact. And so the creed, on one level, is promising us the resurrection of the body and eternal life with God. Amen. The creed is also promising us that, that this body is part of the life that is ongoing, everlasting, Zoe-esque, and is participatory right now and available to us as a quality of life. And I think both of those things are really hard to wrap our minds around. And quite honestly, they're, they're really beautiful, but I think we have a hard time with these things because we experience them through our bodies. We know that our bodies matter to God and that they will be resurrected and then we know that we're supposed to participate in, in this divine life forever and now. But I think the hard part for you and I is, is our body. Bodies are tricky. I think it's hard for us to hear the good news of Jesus found in the creed and affirmed in the scriptures in these bodies because it's really hard for these bodies to interact with this body. And we have a disconnect with what the work of Jesus in Jesus' body, how does it work with our limited bodies? Because bodies are tricky. Bodies are limited. Our bodies break down. They get sick. They wear out. Our relationship with our bodies breaks down. It's complex. It's difficult. We have limitations, pain, and struggle. And I don't think anybody is without that when it comes to their body. Bodies are amazing. 
They're complex. They're beautiful. They can bring a sense of pride and strength and accomplishment. But our bodies are often also a sense, bring us a sense of sadness, shame, disregard, limitation, exclusion, and difficulty. And it's hard to see the truth of the creed and even the full truth of the gospel of Jesus because our bodies often are a limiting factor for us. Nobody's untouched by the struggles of the body. One of my big struggles with questions of the body and the gospel and the life everlasting has come to me through my dad, who when I was a kid, he was like Superman. It was never a question in like second grade, like my dad could beat up your dad. I just smiled and walked away. One time I saw my dad do 30 pull-ups. It took me 30 years to do one a year, right? I mean, I can't do that. But when I was in high school, Superman turned into a crippled man quite quickly through a degenerative joint disease and other complications. My dad went from feeling like he was Superman to someone whose life is now defined by pain. The medication schedules, surgeries, surgeries to redo the surgery. And it has felt like me, for me, as something I've had to process as a huge loss in my life. He's a, he is an amazing man, and an excellent grandfather and father. But his, his physical body is so broken and limited that it has caused large questions for me about what is the gospel, what is the good news, what is the zoe for my dad? What is it for you who are experiencing sickness, unrest, limitation, disappointment, exclusion? What is, what is the good news of life everlasting for you right now? Not only future hope. I think it has to do with how we begin to understand Christ's body and our body and participation in this body. See, so the incarnation is what we're talking about here. God taking on the flesh of humanity to redeem, to give value, solidarity with us in our bodies. And I began this week with a question talking with my dear friend Trace here on staff about what does it mean that how is Jesus good news to all people and everything he did? I mean, really, Jesus' timing, prophetic fulfillment, his words, his inclusion, his welcome, his death, his theology, his calling for justice and mercy were all good news. And so wouldn't it stand to reason, too, that the person of Jesus, the embodied Jesus, the, the incarnation is also showing up as good news in the world as well. This too, friends, is even hard for us to recognize because we have had a distorted view of Jesus' body and I think Jesus' body matters or else we become Gnostic. Here's a couple photos. Jesus' body, right? Power play Jesus, amongst other things. And I was shocked as I began to picture Jesus differently this week. What is, what is Jesus presenting as good news in his body mean to the world? It's not these guys necessarily. 
I've, I've bought into this too much. That 6'4", athletic Jesus with perfect teeth, well-groomed, and white. This, this and these type of portrayals of Jesus has led to violence and exclusion and oppression and racism. It's been really horrible. Now, I get that some of these early iconographers were trying to ascribe value and perfection in all the worldly ways that they knew to this picture of Jesus. But what we've internalized is that these characteristics of the 6'4", athletic, beautiful Jesus, they, they matter because we've put our body next to that, that kind of measuring stick. And so if Jesus is light-skinned and able-bodied and tall, Aren't those things better? Aren't those things then inherently superior? And so we have work to do on a lot of levels, church, to un unpack Jesus. Not because we're after some sort of accurate Shroud of Turin look of what did he look like, but because if bodies matter, the way Jesus' body showed up in the world matters to us. Not because we need to be fact detectives, but because we need to unpack and unlearn some of these unhealthy things that cause us inadequacy and shame, and we'd rather be Gnostic than Christian because of them. So, specifically, can we open up our imaginations a little bit today to think about the incarnated Jesus? So, in her book, British historian Joan Taylor, in her book, What Did Jesus Look Like?, pulls the research, all the archaeological data from around the world, and we begin to get this picture of the average man um, in Palestine around the time of Jesus. He probably looks a little bit like this guy. He's probably five, five foot two, okay? Not tall. Dark hair, dark eyes, dark skin. And I also think there's just more to the story of Jesus than average, actually. We do get some clues in the scriptures. We often think Jesus uh, is a carpenter. That's what we were taught, right? Son of a carpenter. And yet, there's, there were, wasn't a ton of woodworkers in the day. Uh, not a ton of trees in the desert. Um, also, uh, the word we get in, in I think it's Luke and, and Mark use it, tecton is the word that we've translated as carpenter because that's a highly valued trade in our world, isn't it? If you ever had to hire one, you know. But tecton just means worker of the hands. It could have meant anything from, from migrant worker to carpenter. Somebody who works with their hands. And it's a good chance, based on where they live, that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was worked in a stone quarry. Maybe even one of the quarries that quarried the rocks for Herod's palace nearby. And so what if Jesus joined him in that trade? There's a good chance he did. What happens to the body of, of a poor person when they work hard with their hands? I want us to begin to imagine Jesus not just as, as shorter and less attractive, but with somebody who worked with their hands, had broken bones and broken fingers that probably didn't set right. A limp is not too far of a stretch when we think of the incarnated Christ. Often when in the stone quarry, eye injuries were common. They maybe didn't leave you blind, but with very, with bad vision or, or open sores around your eyes in the first century. Jesus' body had much pain 
he came to live the entire human experience. Isaiah 53 says this, he had no beauty or majesty that attracted us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And so what does it mean for us in our understanding of the value of body if we imagine Jesus, the one who came to take on flesh, as exactly like Isaiah says, nothing desirable. An image that was really powerful for me is what if, at, what if at the Last Supper, what if his hands were all crippled up by age 30? What if they looked like my dad's hands and he couldn't hold the loaf and he had to tuck it under one arm to break it off? And I wonder if we begin to have a, a better view of Jesus' body, even if it's imaginative, I think it frees up us in these bodies to be more fully a part of this body. And recognize that, that you, you belong. This, this body is not this body without your body in it. And that as Jesus, the one who is coming and, and presenting good news in himself and in his body, that's good news to you and I. Philippians 2, in that spirit, isn't it fitting that Jesus would empty himself of all privilege, all the signs of privilege and perfection to enter the human experience and even the pain of physical limitation and illness and his defiance in not meeting the ableness and beauty of, of the Greek Hellenism, right? You see these body like a Greek God is what we've come to say. Jesus' act of resistance, which is good news to the poor, is not taking on that body. Because what does that look like then for, for the woman at the well or the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years to approach this beautiful, perfect Greek God specimen in need of help? There's something, friends, I think about Jesus' body, his risen and ascended body currently, that presents as good news and gospel to you and I, where there's an invitation intrinsic in his limitedness and brokenness that invites us to come closer and not stray farther away in shame. And if that is the case, would it be too that when we think of Christ's body as good news to the world, that the limitedness and brokenness and disability and inability and dysfunction of this body is actually good news to the world. We do not need to clean all this up to represent the living God. Maybe you, you being a deeper part of this community makes us more like the incarnated Jesus and more like good, visible news to the poor and oppressed and anybody who is in need of Jesus' life. You and I are a part of that. But it's tough because our bodies are tough. There's some friends who are reading this book by Jess Connolly. It's called Breaking Free of Body Shame. She says this, the world may tell us that we're too much and never enough, but we can walk into the wild, walk wild into God who created us to be and rest freely in the work Jesus did for us. We do not have to be confined or conformed by our culture expectations. We are unchained from our past and unafraid of our future because of Jesus did that first. 
And so, friends, the question for us is how then does this good news in the body allow us to more fully participate in the good news of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting that is eternal and available to you and I now? I wonder what it would look like to show up in a place believing that the body of Christ gives my body value as it is. And to be a body that welcomes and affirms that. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And even the good word to us in the scriptures and in the incarnation of Jesus is that our body, could even our limited bodies be a conduit to the presence and power of God? Could one invitation for you this morning from the creed and from the scriptures be that your body in its uncomfortability, in the things you don't love about it, things you hate about it, the things that work, things that don't work, could that be an invitation to deeper zoe, to deeper union and communion with God. I'm not trying to gloss over things that are really painful for us, but as Jesus' body and his incarnation and life and work give value to our bodies, I've got to say that's an invitation to us to dig into the, to the possibility of God's power and presence even in our bodies, and therefore even in our body. So with that, Christ who's making all things new, we sit in the tension that the first century, second century, third century professors of the creed did as well to say, we believe in the resurrection of the body. Our bodies have value, but it doesn't always feel like it. And I believe in life everlasting. And I want a piece of that now, and it's hard for me to get at it. I think here's four, or three quick things that'll give us a, a sense of what it could mean to live into the life everlasting, the Zoe. Now, the presence of God. Bodies are tough. If for you, encountering Christ's presence in your body is really difficult, just invite you to take some moments of stillness this week. To sit in your body and simply just say, God is here, and God loves me. Maybe that's, maybe that's the invitation for you this week. That may take a long time, but God is with you. God loves you. Maybe it's an invitation to re-engage purpose. There's a place in this body for you. The body of Christ is more the body of Christ with you in it. And not on the periphery, but a part of it, right in the middle. And so maybe it's an invitation to pray for confidence and opportunity. Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit this week so I can see the opportunity to be loved, to be embraced, and to engage. And for some of us, it is leaning into the promise of God, the promise of the creed, the promise that the life everlasting is not only available to us now, but is indeed the promise of eternal life for those who are in Christ.
that the resurrection of the body will happen. And that the hope is present. So, Lord, would you give us who are in that boat needing promise, would you give us comfort and assurance this week? Oh, comforter, would you comfort us? And so, as we say the creed together, we also affirm the humanity of one another and we say it more vibrantly because we join our voices together. That's why we do it together. And so, friends, would it, would it be that as we kind of sit in the messy middle recognizing the promise and yet trying to recognize what the, the gospel is for our body and it is Jesus, would it be that Christ's body, Christ's incarnated body without anything to draw us to him or put him on a pedestal, a body that was, was most likely broken and didn't work all that well all the time, would Christ's body would it, would it inform us and would it affirm your body as part of this body who because of the work of Jesus is worthy of this body? Whether it has to be brought to you at home or at your seat or wherever, you because of the work of Christ are worthy of this body, of Christ's body. And so we take it together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It was Jesus who sat down at the meal with his dear friends. And he took the bread and however he needed to, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they'd eaten, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you. It's the new covenant. It's the new promise of what our, for what the world can be. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask you to be here at your table. Would you take these simple offerings, these elements, and would you make them to us, the body and blood, the communion of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as, Lord, you take our bodies and you make them together something magnificent that we could not be on our own. We ask for your spirit to come and do that work amongst us, the work of healing and renewal, and communion. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so friends, we partake in this practice, which is mysterious because it has to do with the body of Christ. Giving the body of Christ to our bodies who are part of this body. And there is mystery in that. And so we have some time for the mystery. We have a chance to, to sing and worship and pray and reflect. We have people, uh, our prayer teamers in the back would love to pray with you, probably back by the prayer room. We have tables around the room with allergen or gluten-free elements. Um, so you can come and take and eat Christ's body and bread ready for you as we rehearse the story of resurrection 
and the life everlasting. And we say that story together before we eat, saying this, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Friends, come and receive who you are, the body of Christ.